And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast recording on a cloudy Thursday evening on the East Coast where the NBA season is wrapping up. We have a half dozen games left. Seemingly every playoff race somehow in the balance except, except at the very top of the Western Conference where the Memphis Grizzlies have clinched the number two seed. And the 62-14 and 14 Phoenix Suns, 62-14, and 14 are 942 games ahead of everyone else in the NBA <laughs> and have set the land speed record from evolving from bad team to bubble curiosity to, are they kind of an underdog in the first round, even though they're the second seed, to juggernaut, at least by the numbers, that has raised the question of, are we just messing around and making up storylines and the title-winning Phoenix Suns are just an inevitability coming to steamroll everybody? That's what 62-14, and 14, that's what an 81 winning percentage means. Like, two days ago, they were a laughing stock. Now they're in the <laughs> same category as the 96 Bulls. I'm interested to talk about the team. I'm interested to talk about the evolution. I'm interested to talk about what it feels like to live that evolution as a fan. And there is no one better to do that with than ESPN's research guru, resident Suns fan, secret MVP of NBA today, Michael Schwartz. How are you, sir? Uh, doing great, Zach. And it's funny, whenever you invite me on, that means the Suns are doing something, either a curiosity like the bubble or something really incredible. So always great to be here. So I, I want to start with the zoomed out fan part of it. Like, yeah, again, it, it's... It, it, I, I think all of us thought the Suns would be really good this year. Maybe the number one seed in the West. I don't think I, – I, I'm not sure. Even 60 wins seemed like possible. They have six games left. If all they do is go three and three, mm-hmm. they join the 65-win club. And we can talk about how few members that club has and what most of them end up doing. And they're nine games ahead of the Grizzlies, and even more than that of everyone of everyone in the East. How is this? They they keep reaching stages so far ahead of schedule that we, as the NBA media and fan fandom, have difficulty sort of grappling with what they are and where they are because they sneak up on us. They get there before we're ready to sort of anoint them. What what has this been like for you? Are you surprised? Are you like, what's going on here? Do you ever feel like you're having an out-of-body experience? Like, wait a second, the Suns are going to win 66 games maybe? Yeah, Zach, I'm probably as optimistic as anyone about the Suns, yet the last three years, everything they do, it's like, you know what, I think they could I think they actually have a shot in the bubble. I think they might make a little bit of a run, but 8-0, and I didn't see that coming. Uh, last year, you know, I thought, okay, you had Chris Paul. This is a definite playoff team. I thought top four seed was where I, my head was at going into last year. And what do they do? They blow the doors down on that, 51 wins, the two seed, and go all the way to the finals, like you said, despite for some reason being an underdog in round one. This year, I thought they would win upper 50s games. I thought... The Vegas projection, which I think was right around 50, was way off. And I think they were underrating how much it, improvement hold the Suns up, hold actually had. It, it was 50? It was. I, I think it was just over 50. It, it wasn't close to this. I mean, the Lakers were way ahead of them, you know? The Lakers were a few games ahead of them. They, I think they were right there with the Jazz, like maybe 51, 52, somewhere in that range. They were nowhere near 60. I thought maybe... 
58, something like that, which honestly going into the year would have been optimistic and I'll probably miss that by seven or so games. So, so let's flip it. So that's like all happy, feel good, unexpected, like expectations are everything in life. You know, when people overhype a movie to me, I watch it and I'm like, that was all right. It was like a B. And then when I haven't heard of a movie and it's good, I'm like, whoa, it was amazing. Everyone's got to see this movie. Mm -hmm. So let's flip it around. Is it dawning on you? Or maybe you don't think this way, that you have now reached the point where anything but winning the championship is a failure. Is that is that fair? Is it dawned on you that like, oh my God, where last year felt like just gravy on top of gravy on top of gravy, and now it's like last year would be a failure? Absolutely, I feel that way. And like last year, obviously, go up 2-0 in the finals, you expect to win the series at that point, and they lose four in a row. So honestly, I didn't even feel that terrible at that point because it's like, wow, this was an incredible season. They, they had the second best record. They made it all the way to the finals. They really rolled right through the Western Conference. They didn't have any difficulty in the playoffs until they got to Milwaukee. So it's like, OK, this was an unbelievable year. But I think if if that happens again this season, anything certainly short of the finals is is a at this point, a pretty huge failure and even not winning it would be a failure. So yeah, I think, I think the expectations have finally caught up to them where the only thing they can do now is win the championship. So how does that feel as a fan? Does that, are you, are you more nervous for the postseason than you were last year? Because you, you know that that's, those are the stakes that people are going to point to them as a failure and not even point to them that you're going to internalize it as a failure if they don't win it. Does that make this less pleasant almost? I think I'm less nervous because I'm more confident, you know, because last year you, you just didn't know what to expect. It had been a decade since they'd been in the playoffs. And who do you draw in round one? You draw the man who famously has never lost a first round series in LeBron James, Anthony Davis. I think like everyone but Bobby Marks picked them to from ESPN to win in round one. They were Vegas favorites despite it being a 2-7. So I think especially when Chris Paul went down, It was such a fun season last year. They played so well throughout the year. I was nervous that it almost would have been swept away if you lose in round one. I think now I know what this team is. I'm a lot more confident that they are going to at least roll through the West playoffs. I have no idea who's going to come out of the East and what that matchup might look like. So I think I'm more confident overall, even though you're right. There is definitely more pressure there. It's not just happy to be here anymore. I do look forward to... Anthony Davis coming on inside the NBA in like 25 years and be like, you know, if I if I have been healthy, we're, we're taking down the Suns in the first. Remember that series in the 2021? We're winning that series. It's it's reaching if, – if the Lakers were healthy, is reaching the 2008 Celtics never lost a playoff series when they were fully healthy. Yeah. Now, it's not quite there. It's not quite there because that has, that has really – I mean, the 2008 Celtics is almost a decade and a half ago. And that's still a trope that one of them will bring out every 18 months. Hey, you just, just definitely get, I don't know if you guys forgot this, but like Perk got hurt and KG mm-hmm. got hurt when we were healthy. We never, we never lost the playoffs here. The Lakers, 2021 Lakers is reaching, I guess when you're the biggest disappointment in like the history of the NBA for a single season, you've got to cling to something, right, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they even asked Booker this the other day since Anthony Davis brought it up before the Suns beat the Lakers by what was it like 30 or 40 something ridiculous a a couple weeks ago. Um, Nobody talks about Chris Paul. The dude is playing with one arm. You're talking about the guy with one of the best handles in NBA history. He couldn't dribble the ball for half the series. He couldn't take three pointers. Nobody talks about that. Yeah, he they were not guarding him. 
because yeah. they knew he wasn't going to shoot. So it wasn't just that he wasn't shooting. It was the impact. It, it was a trickle-down effect of that on yeah. the rest of the offense. But wasn't wasn't Booker wearing sunglasses when he did that, that post-game press conference that sort of poo-pooed the whole he was, right? Yeah, become another one of those great memes. Yeah, Book is – um, I don't I, – I, I feel like he should be even more popular than he is. Like he, Devin, when we we did this, um, Perk had this tweet about a month ago that Morant, Trey Young, and I think Luca were all competing for next right. face of the league status, yeah. whatever, whatever that meant. And I had two reactions to it. Number one, yeah, I mean those are all great candidates, particularly Morant. I mean the, his personality. He, he basically jumps through the TV screen and slaps you across the face with personality, but. You know, the three frontrunners for MVP this year, whether you like their personalities or not, are 27 years old. Like, we don't need to rush those guys out of face of the league status. And the other thing I said was the only certainty here is that there will be other names that butt their way in to this conversation. And I mentioned Tatum. I mentioned we don't even know what Kate Cunningham's going to be. And then I said, what if the Suns win the title? Like, what does Devin Booker become? The guy is super telegenic. He has the sort of old school Kobe-ish game that fans tend to gravitate to, both new school fans and old school fans. He's He's got that sort of fearless bravado machismo to him that everybody likes. He's funny what like he is in that interview when he gets a chance to do it. I kind of feel like he should be in that conversation. And I don't know if it's the stench of spending the first five years of his career on terrible teams in a market that no one was paying attention to. I, I feel like he's a, he's a capital S star kind of waiting to happen yeah it, it doesn't make sense and for the pop culture sense he's dating a kardashian for god's sake which you would think would up his q rating to some degree um so i it doesn't make sense i think you did hit on it i think that uh, so many people just attach losing to devin booker from those first four or so years of his career which just doesn't make sense to me when you look at who his teammates were um but like you were saying man he's just a killer of the Kobe type of variety. Uh, the other night in Denver, when he was announced in the starting lineups, they had um, Amir Coffey's photo up and he actually took that personally. And it's one of those things like, you know, that was just a mistake. The Clippers had recently played them. Uh, that was like 100% a mistake. And he thought, oh yeah, they did that on purpose. I don't know if he actually believed that or not, but just the fact that he took that as fuel just goes to show like what kind of a crazy, insane competitor he is. Let's use that as an excuse to talk about the new hot name in the MVP conversation, and that, of course, is is Devin Booker. Uh, I will just yield the floor to you because I know as our research guru, you have done the research. So make the historical case for Devin Booker to be the MVP of the NBA, which is going to be, I got to tell you, Mike, it's going to be a tough case because the top three are kind of, they're kind of chiseled in stone for me and a lot of other voters, but I welcome you to make the case. Yeah, and I agree. The top three are unbelievable this year, and he doesn't have the numbers that those guys have. Um, A couple of them are on teams that honestly might end up being the East number one seed in Embiid and Giannis. So the Suns actually put out a great stat of this week. There have been 12 previous instances in the history of the NBA where a player averaged 25-5-5, and which Booker is nearly at. He's just about there in assists for the team with the league's best record. All 12 won MVP. Um, I went ahead and looked at um, team win percentage 
because obviously there's even you see this year, there could be a huge difference between the Suns one seed and the East one seed. So 11 of the 12 players to average 25, five and five on the uh, best teams in NBA history, they all won MVP. And the only exception was 17, 18 Steph. And that's because 17, 18 Harden won MVP that year. Um, and I think one other thing, we always talk about how hard it is to really evaluate what criteria you need to use for MVP. I know you talked about this on the All-NBA podcast. There's not really a, a set criteria, but there sort of is one thing that's a criteria, and you need to be a one or a two seed. Uh, in NBA history, 73% of MVPs were a one seed that year, and 86% were a one or a two seed. So that's where like Jokic's numbers completely dwarf Booker's. There's no debate there. But it almost feels to me like unless it's a crazy outlier year, like, of course, 16-17, Russell Westbrook averaged a 30-point triple-double. That was a, a pretty easy case to make despite a number six seed for OKC this year. Uh, to me, not only being the one seed, but being, like you said at the top, an overwhelming one seed where you're nine games up, I feel like he needs to at least be in the conversation, whereas he hasn't even been remotely in the conversation and I think what's really important is he's on that first team All NBA guard ballot. So Book is at twenty six five and five. I'm rounding up. I'm giving him twenty six five yeah, and five. Very close to that last five. Forty six percent shooting, thirty eight percent from three, fifty one percent on twos. Without Chris Paul on the floor, and this is a difference between this year's Suns team and last year's Suns team because. Before yeah. the before the Chris Paul one arm injury that is overshadowed by the Anthony Davis injury, the Kawhi Leonard injury, and the Jamal Murray injury. Before that, of course, the story of the Suns was how did everyone get affected by COVID except these guys? How did everyone <laughs> get injured except these guys? That hasn't been the case this year. Aiden missed time, Paul missed time, Cam Johnson, yeah. who's been on an absolute tear and made a little bit of a mini leap, he's missed time. Crowder's missed time. Book himself has missed time. They're plus eight. Per 100 possessions, that's in line with their overall differential, which is the best in the NBA, when Booker plays without Paul. And he's become a much better defensive player. I think he's, he's at... He's, I think, at worst an average defender for his position, which doesn't sound like high praise, but considering his track record, he's not the longest dude for his position. Uh, he's not the highest flyer for his position. He doesn't, look, he doesn't move around like Matisse Thibel or something out there. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and the load he carries on offense, That that's a great... Like, like there are teams who would kill for their star young two guard to be an average defender, and I think again that's on at worst on on bad nights. So I, I think I think the case is strong. That stat that you mentioned is interesting. You know, to measure up to those top three is pretty hard. The first team All NBA to me is is much more attainable. Where do you fall? You're you're not a voter. I am a voter. What would you do with mm -hmm. the Jokic and Bead thing on first team? Um. I mean, it's it's so hard if you go purely by historical precedent, like there's a lot of years Bill Russell or, or Will Chamberlain didn't make first team All-NBA because the other guy was. I think I would go Jokic at power forward and Embiid at center and obviously Giannis as the other forward. So I, I feel like they're, they're so clearly have been two of the five best players in the league that um, so long as the league is allowing you to put one of them at the forward, I think I would definitely do that. The other difference between, you know, the Suns last year, partly because he's amazing, partly because he was the new guy who lifted them up, Chris Paul was the story last year. They right. were a Chris Paul team. 
They played in his mold. He was the sexy MVP candidate from the Suns. Book has flipped that a little bit this year, partly because of health, partly because of he's outstanding, and partly because when you look at those clutch numbers, and I'm not even going to bother to recite what their record is in close games, it's basically undefeated with lots of wins. Um, yeah. He is as much driving that as Chris Paul, who is one of the all-time great clutch players. Well, Devin Booker is neck and neck, side by side with him in terms of volume and efficiently in efficiency. I think he's got a great argument for first-team uh, All NBA. And that brings us to, you know, some. this is the, the list that you've mentioned. So this is, let's zoom out and talk about the team because the team is just, it's incredible. It's just, a, they're just a fine-tuned machine. In the middle of the season, I had a little thing on how they are, I wrote a little thing on how they are sort of the true heirs to the Spurs, pound the yeah. rock philosophy, the famous pound the rock, because they just down 12, down 14, up 14, up 12, they just keep playing the same way. Nothing changes. They don't force anything. They don't get out of their habits. They don't panic if they're behind. They just keep playing, keep playing. We have faith in the math. We have faith in how we warp the math. We have faith in what we do. So you keep doing it. And all of a sudden, chip, 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 chip. And then the dam breaks. And there's a 12-0 run. The crowd's fired up. Jay Crowder's salsa dancing you off the floor. <laughs> and the Suns have won an, another game. So I mentioned before. 21 prior teams, starting with the 67 Sixers, had winning percentages of 79 or above, which works out to 65 wins. 15 of them won the title. Uh, the teams that didn't win the title are the 73 Celtics. Bill Simmons, my, my old colleague, has lamented the John Havlicek injury in 73. The 07 Mavs. Sorry, 07 Mavs. You screw up every sample of these teams. We believe the 09 Cavs. Uh, who, who there was two teams that qualified in 2009. The One of them, the Lakers, won the title. The 2016 Spurs and the 2018 Rockets aforementioned another Chris Paul team who lost to a Warriors juggernaut. All the other teams won the title. And as you, as you mentioned, Mike, the list of MVPs from those teams, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 71, Dave Cowens in 73, Moses Malone, 83, uh, Larry Bird, 86, Magic Johnson, 87, Michael Jordan a bunch of times, Shaq, 2000, Dirk, 2007, uh, an award that was, I believe, not bestowed during the playoffs at a game, which is customary. Yeah. LeBron, 2009, Steph twice, Harden once. So history suggests that Devin Booker should be one of the two or three frontrunners for MVP. But more important, I think, to you, history suggests, and I'm not sure how much we should read into it, that this team is overwhelmingly likely to win the title. Yeah, it, it really does. And one other thing I looked at, um, like you said, just need to go three and three to get to 65 wins. So the 14 Spurs is a team that a lot of people have compared the Suns to. Obviously, just a brutal, heartbreaking loss in 2013 on the, the Ray Allen shot. And then they come back the next year and just blitz through the league, the playoffs in particular, go back and, and beat Miami in the 2014 finals. They only won 62 games, so they're not on this list. But uh, five previous teams won at least 65 the year after making the uh, making the finals and losing in the finals, and four of them ended up winning the championship that next year. The one that didn't, you just said it, breaking every list, the 07 Mavericks. You know, at least they still have the thing at Chase Center where Dirk threw the chair through the wall. Oh, yeah. they, they like right. saved they saved the hole in the wall. From when the We Believe Warriors reduced, reduced Dirk to throwing the chair through the wall. Um, and then I think we're going into the outback and disappearing for a month to, to figure yeah. life out. 
and indirectly, the Durant Warriors screw up the sample too because the Rockets, the 2018 Rockets, who are you know overwhelmingly favorites to win the title that year in a normal year, but of course that was not a normal year because the Warriors were completely unbeatable. Um, let's talk about this, the, the big picture um, ingredients. The Suns are second in offense and second in defense. It's pretty good. Yep. Like if you're the best at everything, you tend to be pretty good. I think we just haven't talked enough about how crazy it is that they're second in offense. So, and you can talk more about this as a math guy. To be second in offense with this profile is is just absolutely bonkers to me. They're 27th in three-point attempts as a percentage Mm -hmm. of their shots. They are dead last in the percentage of their shots that come at the rim. Well, you think, all right, well, they must compensate with, like, a bunch of free throws or something. They're 26th in free throw rate. They're like, okay, well, they, at least they probably are getting a lot of offensive rebound. They must be getting a lot of second-chance points. They're 21st in offensive rebounding rate. This is a first-chance, only-chance offense that takes all the mathematical shots that you're not supposed to take, doesn't supplement it with anything else, and not only are they – then you say, okay, so they shoot well from everywhere on the floor. They're probably a good offense. They're almost the best offense in the NBA as a first chance, only chance, all mid-range offense, no free throws, no offensive rebounds. It's just like you look at these numbers and you think, how is this even possible? I don't even get this. It's incredible what they're doing. What, what have you – I mean, we all know they're a great mid-range shooting team. They're a great three-point shooting mm-hmm. team. They convert at the rim. They just are efficient. They get to their looks. They don't turn the ball over. But when you look at this math profile, what what sticks out to you? What what are we missing? Other I, maybe we're not missing anything. It just it just seems like they're threading such a tight needle, but they're doing it, and they're doing it to the point that they're challenging Utah as the best offense in the NBA. It's it's absolutely crazy. That, that's unbelievable, Zach. I didn't realize the math was quite that bad. I mean, you talk about an era where it's all you want to shoot at the rim or you want to take threes, and they're not doing either at the uh, at a super high rate. Um, the one stat where they are high in is assists per game, and I think that the the way they move the ball and the kind of shots they're able to get. Obviously, everyone knows Chris Paul leading the league in assists. Um, he can he can make anyone look good with the kind of passes he makes. So I think that's a huge part of it. And Monty's 0.5 system where uh, within 0.5, you want to basically make a basketball move and um, not, not a lot of, except for your two guys, Booker and and Paul, not a lot of ISO ball. And then you hit on it. If you're going to shoot in the mid range, you want to have guys like Kevin Durant or Devin Booker and Chris Paul. So those are the two guys who actually are efficient in the mid range and I think that's obviously a huge part of it, too. It's it's just incredible. And you're right. The the collective decision-making, this is part of the pound the rock thing. Like, like none of mm-hmm. it none of it is really that sexy when Chris Paul drives and Mikhail Bridges makes a quick catch-and-go drive and passes to Jay Crowder, who makes the extra pass to Booker, who shoots a corner, who shoots a three or It's like none of those things individually are that sexy. Sometimes they don't even – they, they all widen – every one of those decisions widens the advantage the Suns have opened by like a couple feet, a couple feet, a couple feet. Sometimes it just leads to like a Mikhail Bridges pull-up 12-foot jumper. It doesn't look incredible. But then when you rewatch those possessions, you sort of appreciate the cleverness. It's not even cleverness. It's just like just instant 
calculation, just instant, unselfish, unsexy intelligence that every one of these guys brings to every single possession. It's just a bunch of tiny, smart, small decisions that lead somewhere good every single time. It's not it's not highlight stuff. They're not a dunk team. They're not, you know, book will give you highlight mid-range jumpers and all that. It's just they're just a joy to watch if you like smart unsexy but smart basketball. You know what I mean? You must love it. I mean, it's just they're, they're just, oh, it's it's just one smart decision after another. Right. And it's funny coming from growing up in the Nash era, which was another kind of super intelligent basketball where they were getting the right shots and the the ball flew around. It kind of reminds me of that in 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 that sort of way. Obviously, the style is different. Uh, they're not shooting way more threes than everyone like that team did. But just the kind of the um, the pace that those teams play with on the offensive end kind of reminds me of each other. It is. It's a fast pace in the half court. They're not necessarily a right. fast-paced team. Chris Paul's teams historically right. have been slow teams. That's changed a little bit. But within the half court, their pace can be pretty fast. It's just amazing. Like if you had just given me this, all the numbers that I just mentioned, including yeah. you can give me books and CPs percentage on long twos, and just said, guess where their offense ranks? I'd be like, hi, right, you know, they shoot pretty well. Like ninth, ninth. It's a solid ninth. No, they're basically number one. In the entire NBA. Yeah. And Mike, I don't need to tell you this. The thing that makes it even more interesting is defensively, they yeah. are exactly the opposite team. They don't give up shots at the rim and they don't give give up threes. Their goal on defense is to make you play like they play offense. It's just it's mm-hmm. it's just incredible. And I ran the stat on NBA Today last week when they were top three in both. That's incredible. Top two of both. Over the last 25 years that we have play-by-play data, only two other teams have been top three in both categories, the 2015 Warriors and the 2017 Warriors. Both those teams won 67 games in the title. The 16 Warriors were fourth, um, I believe, defensively. So they just missed that. So that's, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good company to keep there. Does Paul George's return worry you at all in terms of the Clippers as a frisky first-round opponent and, and with with a bunch of long wings, and if you want to construct a team to play the Suns, you'd want a bunch of long wings to, to play Booker and CP with size. One of those long wings, of course, is the one that hasn't played yet, and that's Kawhi Leonard and, you know, TBD on him. But does that scare you at all? Absolutely. Uh, it's not scare me in that I think the Suns would lose, but that's just the last team I want to see in round one of the teams that it possibly could be you know Ty Lue's such a good coach you know that it's going to be a long tough series it's not the kind of first round series that you want and uh really the Clippers played them as well as anyone better than anyone in the West playoffs last year um Paul George has destroyed the Suns over the last couple of years and I'm still terrified that we're going to get that news that Kawhi's back and all of a sudden you get what might be one of the better teams in the Western Conference as a eight seed so I, I would much rather see the Clippers win that 7-8 play-in game and they can go play Memphis. Getting information on Kawhi Leonard, it, it's kind of like filing a Freedom of Information Act request with any yeah. level of the government. It's going to take you months and you're not going to get anything like the information that you requested. So I, with that out of the way, I would be, me personally, based on what little I've heard and been able to glean, I'd be surprised if Kawhi plays this year. I've been surprised yeah. before. I just, I just, I think Powell will play. PG's obviously already playing. I think there is a chance yep. Kawhi plays. They've clearly kept the door open. I just find it hard to believe 
a year out of that, they're going to throw him into the highest leverage games that exists in the NBA. But again, nothing would really, nothing would shock me. But I'm, I, if I had to bet, I bet he doesn't play. Uh, does Memphis's rebounding scare you at all? Because if there's been one semi-weak spot on the Suns the last two years, it's that we, we know they're not going to be a great offensive rebounding team. They're just an okay defensive rebounding team. Does the Memphis profile, again, a team that plays kind of a, a unique style in the NBA, does that does that worry you at all? They're going to play um, – this, this podcast will go up on Friday. They're going to play tonight um, yeah. in a game that doesn't really have any stakes for them. But uh, does that scare you at all? Yeah, I mean, Stephen Adams has always played Aiton really tough going back to his rookie year. Just um, He's just so massive and tough to move that it certainly would be a, a super tough series. But I would say um, I'm certainly more worried about a full-strength Golden State team than than Memphis. But you're right, that, that rebounding, that would be the story for the Suns, at least keeping uh, the rebounding battle somewhat close there if you play Memphis. Let's end with the, the nerd stuff, which is... Um, the reacquisition of Tory Craig, Landry yeah. Shamit is finally making shots of late. Aaron Holiday, who won't be in the playoff rotation, but was has been very good when he's played. All of this has given Monty Williams um, a little s- some interesting choices to make. So we we know who the starting five is. The yep. first three off the bench are going to be Campaign, Cam Johnson, and Javale McGee. That's eight. Correct. Some people right. stick at eight. When it's go time, maybe the Suns stick at eight. To get both Craig and Shamit, you're going to go to 10, which is long. What's the playoff rotation going to look like? What are the go-to? So we know Paul's going to play with three to four bench players, and then Booker's going to play with three to four bench players, and then the starters will trickle in depending on how many minutes they're going to play and how big the game is, how close it is and all that. What's your, what does the postseason rotation shake out like for you? So, Zach, the first thing that makes this tough is they haven't had their full potential playoff rotation available since Christmas when they played the Warriors. Uh, the game after that. Yeah, well, the, uh, the, Tor- yeah. the, the Tory Craig bench units, like the potential Chris Paul with Tory Craig bench units, they have played zero minutes the whole year. They're, they have no sample size. Right. Right. Absolutely no sample size. And that makes it hard to know what they would do. Not not to say that a regular season rotation would would matter. So I think... The one solid thing that you know, you know that Aiton and McGee are going to split the center minute. So I'll go 36 to Aiton, 12 to McGee, with the possible exception of a Clipper series when you might see Torrey Craig stealing some of those small ball center minutes like we saw in the West Finals last year. Um, Booker's going to play 40 minutes, and then Paul and Payne are going to split the point guard minutes. So say 36 and 12, and, and Payne might... Payne might play in some three-guard lineup, so he, he'll probably get a little bit more than that. But that's where it gets tough. Uh, Bridges only played about 34 minutes in the playoffs last year. This year, Monty likes him with the bench lineups. Monty likes him with the starter lineups. He just can't get Mikel Bridges out of the lineup. So I think he's playing at least 38 minutes. So that leaves um, just under 30 for Crowder and Johnson. And I gave eight minutes to Landry Shamit, and that left nothing for Torrey Craig. So I think it's the kind of thing where, depending on the matchup, you could see 10 minutes for Shamit or 10 minutes for Craig. But like you said, with the depth that this team has, I just don't think you can go more than nine deep. I think it's going to be more of an eight to nine deep kind of situation with the two cams off the bench, JaVale splitting the center minutes um, or taking whatever center minutes Aiton has left over. And then Shamit and Craig potentially getting some scraps based on matchup, but really not not too many minutes available for them. How good is JaVale been, by the way? He's he's unbelievable. Um, just as 
coming from last year where one of the big reasons that the Suns lost was they just had nothing at backup center, especially in the finals once uh, Sharich went down. Uh, Kaminsky, he just wasn't the answer against a team like Milwaukee. So uh, McGee's so huge because now you have really now they have three centers because Biombo has been pretty good in, in limited time as well. And uh, just the energy he brings off the bench is is something that I think could be really huge. And Cam Johnson, look, oh, I don't want to look too forward. I don't want to look too forward because it, it's not – it's just not fun. Cam Johnson is going to make a load of money. That guy's a really, <laughs> yeah, he really sure good is. player. He's made a leap this year on both ends of the floor, and the Suns just aren't going to be able to afford to keep all these guys because that's just – you don't keep mm-hmm. guys that make this amount of money. But for now, just enjoy it. because. And I think Cam Johnson will come back from this quad injury in the next two, three games max – and get gearing up for the playoffs. And you nailed it. The thing that happened last season, regular season, Chris Paul and campaign played 84 minutes together. Entire regular season. Playoffs, they mm-hmm. played 101. And that's just yeah. a function of, well, campaign's one of our three best bench guys. We're going to play him more. How do we play him more? Well, we're going to have to play our two-point guards together. You nailed it. I think that will probably happen if he's playing well. Yeah. I think that probably happens again this season ahead of the pot, ahead of Shamit or Craig getting minutes but man if Landry's finally making shot like the first three months of the season you right. had this vibe of like why why is Landry Shamit here like why did they sign this deal now yeah. okay he's starting to make shots he's starting to find his role a bit yeah and I think he he can be that x factor he could come in and hit four threes in a night where you're maybe a little bit lethargic he's he's been unbelievable just with how quick of a release he is how they find him and it's it's just one more element that you might have to uh, watch out for with this offense. So I think he's going to have a few big moments in the playoffs. I don't know if it'll be every game. There'll be probably a few games where he only plays five to 10 minutes, but I think having that as the guy who's, who's your swing, is he playing in the playoff guy? That's gotta be pretty happy about that. And yeah. And pain also like the combination of pain in Chris Paul's place with the other four starters. That's a lineup. We'll see that lineup has been really, really good. This team just knows what its rotations are. They know the combinations that work. They're just imagine, imagine Mike, if the the pandemic hit, we all isolate March, 2020, right? The sun's record is whatever the hell it is. Not good. Imagine that's like literally two years ago. Okay. You're isolating your house. Like, well, COVID what's, What's COVID? Wait, people can't smell stuff? That's weird. What's happening? And if like someone from the future had come to you in a dream was like, hey, man, just so you know, in two years, the Suns are going to be like in some conversations with the 96 Bulls. What would you, would have, what would you have even said? I definitely would have thought I was in some different world. I certainly wasn't on at this world. This COVID thing must be some kind of a... Uh, some kind of a sickness for me to hallucinate like that. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, Zach. I mean, I've I've always had high hopes that a, a Booker, Aiton, Bridges core was going to develop. I definitely thought they were going to be in the playoff conversation the next year. But uh, to add a guy like Chris Paul and then for pretty much the best case scenarios for um, all their key players starting to hit, I, I never would have thought that they'd be this good this fast, even in my most optimistic day. And it don't last forever. It never no. lasts forever. The Clippers are coming. The Nuggets will be healthy well, next year. And you every, even said every, it. Every chance is precious. 
Cam Johnson is going to be a restricted free agent this year. Um, and you've got DeAndre Ayton, who's, or, uh, K- sorry, Cam's going to be extension eligible. He'll be a restricted free agent the year after. Uh, DeAndre Ayton will be a restricted free agent this summer. So like you said, you can't pay everybody, especially with an owner who's not known for paying everybody the way. So it feels like the Clippers can just pay everybody, but uh, most other teams, you can't do that. So um, just enjoy it while they have a ton of really good depth. I would say they have seven starters right now with the normal starters and then the two cams and just the way the NBA works two years down the line, it's just not going to happen. But, uh, it's, it's just a super fun team. Just watch how they play for each other. Just their mentality. I'll tell you two games in particular, uh, at the nets and a four, I think it was a four out of five stretch. And then a few weeks back at the heat playing two of the best teams in the East, at least at the time Brooklyn was, tail end of a road trip, and they just go in and smash those teams. And it's one of those games where I've considered it a schedule loss, both of those, quite honestly. And this team doesn't do schedule losses. They just pounded right through. Booker's, that was the game Booker came back from COVID, could have easily said, hey, uh, we're home on Friday. I don't need to fly to Miami on Wednesday and uh, could just meet you back home. And nope. He wanted to be there, wanted to beat the Heat, and they just have this really a killer mentality. Well, and there's two words we haven't said in talking about the Suns for like 37 minutes. Monty Williams. And, oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, well, he, he, deserve, he deserves a lot of credit for everything you just said. I voted Monty Coach of the Year last year. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it's always, a hard, it's always a hard vote. I thought he deserved it last year. I, I haven't thought super, super a lot about Coach of the Year other than, wow, man, there's a lot of candidates. I mean, you got to, I'm not going to list them all. It's hard to imagine he doesn't win this year with yeah. their team just lapping the field. And and I, to me, as someone who voted for him last year, I don't feel this impulse. Well, we, we wronged him last year. I didn't wrong him last year. I voted for him last year. It just <laughs> yeah. feels like it feels like he's going to win this year, and that would be very, very well-deserved. But, you know, Hey, man. By the way, and I agree with you, Mike. I think as, as great as Memphis is, and I do think they're going to be a hell of a, a hell of a playoff team, I do, I do think fully formed Warriors are yeah. the most dangerous team to Phoenix. We're just kind of running out of time to see fully formed Warriors. Draymond has looked a little better those last two games. And by the way, you know this. You might see fully formed Warriors in the second round instead of the conference finals. And that's, that's, a, yeah. that's a little interesting late season wrinkle to watch, right? Yeah, I mean, the worst case scenario for the Suns would be Clippers in round one, Warriors in round two, and Memphis in the conference finals. And that's, I mean, I wouldn't say it's likely, but that's very, very within the realm of possibility. Um, The Warriors still have that championship attitude. Um, They split the season series, of course, but they were all pretty hard-fought games. And um, just Steph Curry is a guy who I, I prefer not to see, at least until the conference finals. Conference finals, sure, but I don't want to have anything to do with them in round two, if, if ideally. They, they'll switch a lot and try to take yeah. away those mid-rangers. Aiton would be the key big. in that series because the Warriors don't have somebody to guard him per se. Um, he didn't have a very good game on Wednesday this week when they played each other. But that, that's the kind of game where you're going to need him to kind of elevate and be really a part of the big three on offense with, along with um, with Chris and Devin. So he would be, to me, I don't even know if I'd say an X factor, but just one of the 
one of the biggest keys for the Suns, really on both ends, because then you wonder well, who's he guarding on the other end too. I think he can do that capably. I think um, he's the kind of center who can do a really good job on both ends against the Warriors, but I think that might be the difference in, t- in that type of series. I was going to say, that's a big, big DeAndre Ayton series. But you know what, Mike? There should be no no worst case scenarios for you as a Phoenix Suns yeah. fan. You should take on you should yeah. take on the identity. We are team worst case scenario. We're your walking worst case scenario. So that should be the attitude you have, Mike. You do incredible work for us at ESPN. The Suns are just as unusual and fun a story as there is in sports on the court. Um, thank you for bringing us a little of your time and insight, and uh, I will see you soon, my friend. Always great to talk, Zach. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's bring in Band McMahon. Band McMahon, how are you, sir? Can I get a Howdy Partners in on here? Is that, uh, is that a Hoop Collective special or is that allowed on the low post? I like howdy. Give me a howdy, and uh, I'll take the howdy. All right. Well, howdy, partner. I love it. Uh, We were intending to talk about the Utah Jazz, the flailing, Mm. sniping, cranky, falling, disastrous is probably too strong a word, Utah Jazz. That is too strong a word. Fresh off a huge win over the Lakers last night. Come on. The the preseason favorite, Lakers. I actually I didn't I didn't watch that one, Tim. Didn't watch that one. Um I, I, I do like how with seven games left in the season, Trevor Ariza is back in the rotation for the Lakers. Remember when it was like, well, when we get Ariza none and Baysmore out on the floor, like when we get Ariza none back, like it's all gonna work out. It's like and then Trevor Ariza was just on the team, not playing for two months. Kendrick Nunn, it's over. He's he's not gonna play. Kent Bazemore I, just can't even get on the floor ahead of Wenyan Gabriel and DJ Og. It's like, it, anyway, I can't. I can't. But I didn't, I didn't watch the game last night. But we have to start with MVP. I know you don't have a vote, although you have a straw poll vote, which is arguably as valuable as a vote vote. Um, Less pressure. Uh, and, and we have to talk about it because just an absolute classic in Brooklyn last night. Giannis and Durant going toe-to-toe or foot-to-foot or limb-to-limb. And Giannis uh, mm. sort of capping a, hey, remember me week yeah. uh, that that uh, included a 40-point whatever performance in Philly and a game-saving block uh, on Embiid at the end of that game. Another 40 and whatever rebound performance in Brooklyn last night, a game-tying three, game-winning free throws. And under the radar um, – 
The I love the last second blitzing double team of Durant on yeah. the last shot of regulation. There's only two or three human beings who could do the last second double of Kevin Durant, seven foot all time great scorer, all time great player, and actually unnerve. You could see Kevin Durant, but oh, oh my God, this guy's here too. I got I, this is not going well. And then the two free throws, um, fifteen of nineteen at the line last night, up to seventy three percent for the season. Tim, remember when he what, – what did he shoot in game six of the finals? It was, like, ridiculous, whatever it was. And we all thought, boy, that's – what a what a well-timed <laughs> yeah. fluke for the Milwaukee Bucks. If this is – if he's a 75% free throw shooter and he's a 75% free throw shooter in the playoffs, there is nothing you can do. Nothing. Like, the Bucks' last play of the game was uh, no play – the play is get ball to Giannis, Giannis take ball, Giannis go rim, Giannis get fouled, Giannis make free throws. He's scoring 30 every single game, period. There's nothing you can do. So if you had an MVP vote, did this week sway you at all? Is this a Gian- is, is it neck and neck and neck now? I don't even know what to do anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, I, it is a three-horse race for sure. And all the arguments you want to make for Embiid, does Giannis have as good or better arguments? I mean, he's in the scoring title race. Uh, as of right now, the Bucks are ahead of the Sixers in the East standings. Uh, you know, Embiid did his part last night. None of his teammates did, including James Harden, in a loss to the Pistons. Yes, the Pistons is who the Sixers lost to last night. Um, and it is funny, since the straw poll came out, <laughs> all Giannis has done is uh, bested two of the what top four or five players in the NBA? I uh, got the best of Embiid on his on on Embiid's home court. Got the best of KD on KD's home court. And listen, he is the reigning Finals MVP, the you know a, a two time MVP. And he, uh, it it was pretty cool that he became the Bucks all time leading scorer on a clutch step back three, and then sealed that win by knocking down two free throws. Kind of. You know, d- direct contrast to all the criticism of him over his career, including by a guy who was, you know, his, his primary competition for the MVP. And Giannis took a little jab at, uh, at James Harden last night. He said, you know, I don't want to be just a guy who who runs and dunks. Basically, he wants to keep getting better. I, I do think it's a three-horse race. Um, you know, the straw poll clearly indicates that Giannis was in third place, but if he keeps this up, I think it's going to be hard to deny it. You know, the, the Jokic case is real simple. Every single statistical category, with the exception of points per game, favors Jokic, whether that's, you know, the, the counting stats or the analytics, including, you know, believe it or not, defensive analytics. And we can debate the validity of those, blah, blah, blah. But just by the numbers, Jokic is the guy. Well, and by the by the numbers... Embiid is third. Yes, and that's what it. I you. It's so dumb, but I was I was laying in bed the other night. This is what I do. Thinking this is what I think about in my late night thought sessions. It's like <laughs> we've been focusing so much on who's how to pick a winner that it, then you flip around. It's like man, one of these guys has got to finish third. Mm-hmm. Third. Imagine that. It's gonna be if you write G Atentacumpo third or N Jokic third, you're gonna have this pit in your stomach like. 
is there a way that I can just vote a tie? Like none of these guys should finish third. So you're right. The statistical case all screams Jokic, whether it's I've got them all. I've got my Vorps and Schnorps up right now. Mm -hmm. Player efficiency ratings close, but win shares, value over replacement player, 538 stats, all that. But I'll say this. It's narrowing between Giannis and Jokic. Yeah. And a lot of Jokic's edge is because he's played 250 more minutes right. than Giannis and 200 more than Embiid because some of those stats have cumulative value. Some are just per minute. The per minute ones are now very close between Jokic and Giannis. The cumulative ones, that minute gap, which by the way should matter when you're considering MVP, it widens the edge for Jokic. And then when you zoom way out, the advanced stats that are really kind of not propping him up, but giving him what looks like a blowout lead. The 538 stat, he's like double every other player in the league in Raptor, whatever that stands for. I can't remember what Raptor stands for. And if you just, a Canadian, take, just take that out. Uh, Canadian conversion rate on that, I believe. Yeah. If you, just, if you just take that one out, the advanced stats race is then very, very close. The other one is on-off court. Jokic has a gigantic on-off differential because Denver is dead yeah. in the water without him, and the Bucks are pretty strong um, with without Giannis. Now you you can decide how much you weigh that. Like, should we really penalize Giannis that the Bucks are good without him? I don't know. You take those away, the advanced stats case becomes close enough mm -hmm. that you can then begin to look at the standings. Say, okay, well, you know, best player on maybe the number one seed in the East. Right. Like, that typically wins you MVP. Like, you if you take those out. It's a. It becomes a real hard decision. Like, I don't. I've got a vote. I legit don't know who I'm voting for. I don't even know what my order is going to be. No. It, I, again, there, it's between those three, but it is those three. It's. It's. I don't think it's fair to say it's Jokic versus Embiid. Not that, and it's not just recency bias based on Giannis absolutely dominating these last two games. This is a season long, and and frankly, a you know a a five year long case for Giannis not that the previous seasons necessarily matter but like we know who Giannis is this is a dude who's fresh off 50 15 and 5 in a finals closeout game um and you know I I thought that Embiid's best chance would be for the Sixers to win the East that looks very unlikely at this point the Sixers are are fading uh the Bucks are surging and matter of fact right now the Sixers they're 46 and 30. Nuggets are 46 and 31. I mean, so like this has been the case all year. Everyone pointing to seeding yeah. and team record to to say Embiid over Jokic. All year I've been saying they're two games separated. Right. And the Nuggets have had a better point differential the entire season. Like there is just if you're if you're so dumb that all you can do is look at the standings and be like, <laughs> right. oh, well, the standings say that, so I'll close my old laptop and that's the whole thing, then that's fine. But, like, if you just peel, you don't even have to, like, chop the onion. No. You can just kind of scratch at the well, first layer. Like, oh, oh, wait a second. There's no difference right. between What's these really two teams. really cool about the standings is they have the teams in order in each conference and then their records are right next to it. So you can see the records, like, right there. And, again, if, if that's your argument, then Giannis is your guy as of right now. And But here's the thing. Let the season play out. Let the season play out. I would say Jokic has a still has a a lead, and the straw poll said he had a, a decent lead. Um, but Giannis has made up a lot of ground, in, as crazy as it sounds, in just two games since that straw poll came out. If you 
took all 30 GMs and all 30 head coaches. Say, okay, we're gonna have a draft. You get, we're gonna pick pick one of these three guys. You need to win Game Seven of a playoff series. Pick one of these guys. I think Giannis wins that survey narrowly over Jokic. I, so, I think so, he wins it pretty convincingly because we've seen him do it. He might win it convincingly, but he's going to win it. And so if you just stop there, you think, well, then, then we should just vote him MVP. I do think this is a weird year where the value part of the argument is going to hurt Giannis. And just because Denver has had a unique circumstance year where their second and third best players have been injured the whole season, basically. And their second best player, Jamal Murray, is a borderline all-star who maybe was going to rise into being an all-star. Mm-hmm. The Sixers had the Simmons thing derail their entire season. And really, in order for Daryl Morey to get the guy that he wanted, and we can, you know, it's mm-hmm. not trending great right now, but they needed to survive without Simmons. And they did so much more than survive. And they did that because of Embiid. The Bucks are this sort of model of stability. Yeah, they've had a Brooke Lopez here, a Pat Connaughton here, but... I do think this is a strange year where value, and that's where those on-off right. stats come in, and, and people argue, is it fair to weigh them so heavily? But the circumstances of the Nuggets and the Sixers and what Jokic and Embiid have done to stabilize those teams, I do think carries more, quote, value weight than it would in a normal season. Yeah, and let's also be honest. The Bucks kind of cruise for a lot of this season. You know, if, if the Bucks are competing with the Suns for the best record in the NBA, then I, I don't think this is uh, that difficult of a debate. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, did the Harden trade, <laughs> did it hurt Embiid's MVP case in, in a way that we didn't anticipate? Not that suddenly he had more help, but like it's just been not, it's not like the Sixers have, have taken off. They're kind of stuck in neutral at this point. Uh, I don't know. Um, a couple things on Giannis. Chanae Gwumake and I argued about this on Get Up this morning. There's this there's this thing with Giannis, and you hit on it by by calling back the Harden mm-hmm. comments. That way, you know, he might not be the most skilled guy, and yeah, he's not the he's not as skilled as these other guys. And and I get like I get what that means. Like he doesn't have a Kyrie Harden handle. He doesn't have the Durant jump shot or even, you know, the just, you know, pick pick any pick the Devin Booker jump shot or whatever. Like that those are quote unquote skills. Right. And he does have unique athletic advantages that I that even over the best athletes in the world. But he's like he's incredibly skilled. Yes. Defense defense is a skill. He might be the most well-rounded defensive player in the NBA. I don't care what the analytics say about Jokic. Mm-hmm. There is no universe in which no. Nikola Jokic is a better defensive player than Giannis. And free throw shooting, like he's he's improved that skill and for him, that's the separator from there's a counter to there is no counter. And not only that, and Embiid to his credit has made the same evolution. Both of them get better and better as passers every mm-hmm. season. There are so many possessions. If you throw the ball to Giannis in the post and Embiid the same, and the and the defense begins to shade, not double, but just shade toward him, the ball is out of their hands so fast now that the pass is in the air and almost arriving at the shooter before the defense has even started to change directions back toward that shooter. Those kind of quick one-step-ahead passes – 
He gets better and better at that every year, more and more of those every year. Embiid gets better and better at that every year. And again, that just takes away another quote-unquote answer they used to have. So I just, the, the unskilled thing It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Show Like, there's a lot of really athletic seven-footers in the NBA. There's a lot of seven-footers who can run and who can jump. I don't see JaVel McGee competing for MVP. He can run, he can jump. He, you know, he can't do all the other things Giannis does. Show me another guy who has that kind of size, that kind of athleticism, that kind of body control, that kind of ability to handle the ball, you know, especially in the open court. And, you know, this thing, oh, he's just, he, he's just, a, look at Giannis's body when he got to the league compared to now. And let's also give him some credit for the work ethic it took for him to maximize his athletic potential. Let's also give it, you know what, you know, it's a skill because it's, it's really rare playing hard all the time. Show me another superstar who plays as hard on both ends of the floor as Giannis. So, you know, the, the, the unskilled and for whatever reason, Giannis was the target. I thought of a lot of, you can call it disrespect, didn't get his due credit. It really did take a 50, 15 and five closeout performance in the freaking finals for people basically to, to say, well, damn, <laughs> okay, he is that dude. And by the way, that's people at our network as well. We There was discussion, oh, Chris Middleton's really the Bucks' best player. Chris Middleton's a really good player. He is not in the same universe. I remember going back and forth with I remember going back and forth with Perk last year when Perk was on the Chris Middleton's Batman Giannis's Robin. And in the middle of the season, it wasn't even the playoffs, I don't think. It was maybe toward the end of the regular season, Giannis had one crazy game. And I was like, look, man, you can call Giannis whatever superhero yeah. you want. He's Batman, plastic man, Superman. He's all of the men, super mm-hmm. women, all of them put together in one person. And and, and it's a uh, Anyway, I can a, a word on the Nets really quickly. I had Bontemps, uh, your buddy, your antagonist, Bontemps and Bobby Marks on the other day, and they both were hard on the the Nets are going out in the first round. They can't stop anybody. They're going out in the first round. And I pushed back, not as hard as I would have liked, I think, but yeah. I pushed back and said, look, man, Durant I, still might be the best player in the world. Nobody wants to see those mm-hmm. dudes in the playoffs. Steve Nash is trying to balance offense and defense, shooting and non-shooting, and I think doing a pretty good job of it. I think I think last night was a harbinger. They lost. Yeah. They lost. But last night was a harbinger of you don't want any part of these guys in a playoff series. Milwaukee is better than them yes. as presently constituted. We'll see what the Simmons piece amounts to, if anything, this season. Miami, mm. Philly, Boston without Time Lord. The Nets have a chance to win – all of those series, and maybe favorites to win some of those series. And just, I don't want to put too much time into the Nets because we're going to move forward. They put out lineups last night in that Milwaukee game where it was Kyrie, two of Mills, Dragic, Curry. So Kyrie, two small shooting guards, shooting-oriented guards, Mm -hmm. Durant, and one of Claxton or Drummond. But By the way, Claxton and Drummond are both playing outstanding, including as playmakers in the pick-and-roll with Durant. There is nothing you can do to stop those lineups. Four shooters around Claxton and Drummond, and two of the shooters are Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. You can tell me, well, all we've got to do is outscore them. I mean, they're not going to get stops. That's the answer. Okay, good luck. Like, that was the whole what? conceit of the Harden team was you're, you're, the only way we can win is to outscore their crappy defense. Uh, okay, 
you couldn't do it. Like you're not, that team is is 100% completely unguardable. And if you put Simmons in for Claxton and Drummond at mm. any point, there's just no answer. And like you might beat them four out of seven. You might outscore them four out of seven. I think the Bucks definitely would. But that team is a problem. And if they ever got Joe, like next year, if they have Joe Harris, I don't know who knows who's going to be on their team. But like you put enough shooting around those dudes, there's nothing you can do. Well, the, I would love to see a Nets Heat series because if anybody can slow them down, well, and the Celtics too, although Time Lord's a big part of that defense. But the, the Heat obviously are a dominant defensive team. And I've said the, the best solution to the Heat's half-court offensive problems might be to face the Nets. Um, <laughs> the other way around, too. The best solution to the Nets' defensive problems might be to face the Heat. Well, and, and to your point, the Heat and the Celtics are two of the five best defenses in the NBA. The Celtics, for the last three months, have been the best defense since, I don't yeah. know, like the, like the freaking— Bill Russell Celtics. I don't even— the Teen Wolf team in the movies. I don't know. I mean, like you can't do anything with them, and they can switch, right? And so that's that's the antidote to a lot of staying out of rotation, so the Nets don't get open threes. But the whole recipe of the Nets, and this was triply true with Harden, was okay. Go ahead and switch. We have the best one-on-one players in the world. Mm-hmm. Like have at it. They have one one fewer without Harden, but still, I I just I wouldn't take that team lightly. I wouldn't just write them off as a first round out unless they get Milwaukee, in which case they're in trouble. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Let's talk about the Jazz. Mm, We're in such a nice morning too. I know. I'm sorry. The Utah Jazz are now fifth in the Western Conference, 46 and 31 the same record as the Denver Nuggets, aforementioned for having uh, their second and third best players miss the entire season. Um, the Jazz have just blew another lead against the Clippers, giving us all flashbacks to a playoff series that I think about literally every day. <laughs> and about a month ago on this podcast, I had a monologue about the Western Conference in which I said, I'm starting to get pretty damn worried that it's just over for Utah. The vibes are too bad. Uh, uh, the play is not good enough. 
It doesn't feel like they're going to congeal. Nothing that has happened since mm-hmm. has made me change my feeling. In fact, that feeling that it's could be likely is maybe over mm-hmm. for this iteration of the Jazz has only strengthened. And look, Tim, I, I got to say, Utah fans lead the league, and not just fans, analysts, lead the league in in being like, well, if we were just healthy, we, we were uh, a great team. We're missing Boyan Bogdanovich. Yeah. He's our second leading scorer. If we just have our full 12-man rotation, <laughs> we're really, really good. You know who has their full 12-man rotation Nobody. all the time? Nobody. 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 Zero so, teams. Yeah, hey, if they did just, just had Boyan, they could have figured out a way to beat the Hornets on the road who are missing Gordon Hayward. So I The mean, Memphis Grizzlies are 19 are and 2. 17 and 2 no, or whatever. 19 and 2 Nin- now. Without John Morant and you're sitting here look, I love Boyan. Boyan's a really good player. You're sitting here being like, "Man, if we had Royce O'Neal those 5 games, we would if it was one thing their season spiraled when they didn't have Mitchell and Gobert. Totally fair. You take those two guys off their team, they're not good. Then they got those guys back, and it's like, okay, it's put up or shut up time now. What do you have? And what they have is mediocrity since then. Well, and yeah. you can sit here, you can sit here and tell me, well, you know, Rudy Gay, my Rudy Gay, PCD last night. Well, and that's the thing is like, so the Rudy Gay thing hasn't worked. Is mm-hmm. you 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 are rebuilding your your killer slow jam hybrid starter bench lineup that used to be Conley, Clarkson, Ingles. Gay and Niang last year go bare. Yeah. Last night against the Lakers remains. It was uh, Conley, Clarkson, Gobert, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and Daniel House Jr. You're going to war. That was the most played lineup in the game for the Jazz. They, they miss Joe Ingles with- for a lot of different reasons, man. They miss his they miss his playmaking. They miss his ability to kind of be connective tissue, and they damn sure miss his voice in the locker room. Last night, they mercifully end a five-game losing streak that was full of just, you know, sniping and finger-pointing. And, uh, and, and you know, I love Rudy Gobert, and I fully acknowledge he has this terrible tendency to tell the harsh truth publicly at the worst possible times. Coming back from COVID, the team's in a tailspin. <laughs> you know, brings up Devin Booker as, as an example of a star who's who's playing hard defensively. Um, lose their fifth straight game to the Clippers after blowing a 25-point lead in that house of horrors formerly known as the Staples Center for them. I mean, total flashbacks to last season's uh, playoff exit. It's it's the low point of the season, and he blasts the team for it. You know, we, we don't do the, the, the dirty things. Well, they win last night, and – Quinn pregame basically said, man, I wish Rudy wouldn't wouldn't say these things publicly. Uh, they asked Donovan Mitchell about this last night after a win. Donovan says – That's very polite of the media, by the way, to go to Donovan Mitchell. Very nice. Can you get, get, can you get any comments? I'm sure Donovan is thrilled about that. Oh, no. Donovan, I think, was ready for this one. That's childish, in my opinion. That's childish, in my opinion. If we do that, then we've got some big problems, blah, 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 for five, whatever. By the way, this also came in the wake of Rudy having a strange late scratch in Dallas, which obviously was a huge game, massive home court, uh, you know, p- potential home court implications on that for two teams that have a really good chance of seeing each other in playoffs. And Rudy was a late scratch. He had like this sudden pain 
in his lower leg. And after that game, Donovan made a couple of, of references to how tough it is to change a game plan with 40 minutes left on the clock and really appreciate the guys that suited up that night. Um, so, you know, the, the sniping isn't just one way. Uh, Donovan just does it a little bit more. He, he's just a little bit better at, at, at veiling it. But, I mean, hey, we've talked a lot about the passive aggressiveness between those two in particular, and that's something that's been been going on. No, it's all it's all hashtag fake news, Tim. It's well, all but, the but, national but because media making, making things up. It totally doesn't exist. There's never been any tension between those two guys. It's a total non-issue. It's all the conspiracy that we all have against Utah. It's all fake. Because when they see each other in the locker room, they smile and, and, and dab each other up, so it must be all good. Um, anyways, it, it really does get down to this. It feels like a really good chapter in Utah jazz history is coming to a close very soon, like at the end of the first round. Uh, unless they catch lightning in a bottle and all these flaws that this team has, all the all the kind of the, the friction that this team has, unless that all gets solved in the, in the next couple of weeks, it feels like they are a one-and-done team. And if they are a one-and-done team, I do believe there will be franchise-altering changes this summer that could include the departures of pretty much anybody that you want to name. So there's a lot to unpack here. There's like multiple suitcases of stuff to unpack here. A lot of baggage. If I'm if I'm Jazz Governor Ryan Smith, okay, the first – I'm a very, very wealthy man. Billions. I don't know how many. Just a lot of – I have more money than paid, I could ever – Paid 1.6 some odd for the franchise and didn't blink. So the first thing I'm doing is turning my hat around because I'm an adult person <laughs> and I should wear my hat forwards. The second thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm getting everyone in a room and saying, guys, I don't care what the NBA does to us. I'll pay all the fines. No one is talking to the media ever again other than Quinn Snyder. Rudy, you're done. Donovan, you're done. Because every time you all open your mouth, it's something. So you're all done. I'll pay the fines. You have my checkbook. Done. Um, as, as somebody who talks to these guys for a living, I vote against that plan. But go on. Well, but that's that's fine. I'm Ryan Smith. I got my hat on forwards. We're making changes in Utah. Um Look, I ran my Utah is uh, 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 Utah is cooked take by uh, a GM when I was at a game recently, and the GM who's not involved with any of this said, "I I get what you're saying. I basically agree. The only thing I'll say is, you know, the NBA and particularly the NBA in the COVID era has been so unpredictable yeah. that every team, even teams that look like in the moment that they're broken." or busted, they're one break, one matchup, one good vibes thing away from riding the ship and getting further than you think. And that sounds wishy-washy of that GM to say that. It sounds wishy-washy of us to say it. It's also true. That said, the Jazz have reached a point where that would re where them getting it together and making the conference finals for the first time in this iteration mm -hmm. of their team would really, really, really surprise. Now, yeah. you can tell me that, hey, the seeds could break right for them. Like, if they end up in 4-5 or five and it's Dallas or Denver or they somehow end up 
in 3-6 and it's Dallas or Denver and they get out of the Phoenix Golden State side of the bracket, like, sure, I, again, like, it's it's all possible. But they have reached a point now where my expectations are for them to fail in yeah. the playoffs. I mean, that, listen, that's fair. You you got to believe your eyes at some point. And it is, it's been ugly. It's been ugly and it's been awkward. It's uncomfortable. And honestly, it feels like a, a, a team that is ready to move on. So let's let's zoom out for a second because in all of this, Utah, look, we said it way before the season started. You and I even on a podcast said no team is under more pressure, maybe other than the Lakers, than Utah this season. Yeah. And I and, and I compared it to like Lob City Clippers. Mm-hmm. Like you, you fail in the playoffs enough times. Fail by your standards, not fail by NBA standards. Yeah. Fail by your standards. Right. The high standards because you're a great team. You just start to look at each other and be like, it's just not it's not happening. So let's zoom out and give the Jazz credit because we've been yes. focusing so much on on their on their alleged shortcomings, right? This is a team that pivots out of the Al Jefferson, Paul Millsap era into the Gordon Hayward era. Gordon Hayward leaves in free agency. Devastating. Gut punch. Homegrown guy. Did, they, did we blow it offering him a three-year yeah. offer sheet and piss him off and blah, blah, blah? They get Mitchell at the end of the lottery, Gobert at the end of the first round, lose zero ground with their alleged franchise player leaving in free agency. Then they t- and and remain a good to elite team. Yeah. Then they make the big trade. The big trade is Conley. Two first round picks, Jay Crowder, Grayson Allen for Conley. And they go for it. And we can sit here and zoom way out and say, well, that trade, I remember when that trade happened, I wrote a piece saying they are now a contender to yeah. make the finals. Period. And the risk of that trade was how old do you think Donovan Mitchell was when they made that trade? What is he? Was he 23? 22. 22. And so the 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 sort of not risk, the the reality baked into the Jazz was they got so good so fast post Hayward that they ended up building on Rudy Gobert's timetable and not Donovan Mitchell's I I, I disagree Rudy, with that. Well, no, no, I disagree with it too. I'm saying that's the trouble. Let me finish. Gobert's 29, Mitchell's 25 now. Conley is, you know, mid-30s at this point. And so if you look at it, sure, in theory, you'd want all of your stars to be aligned in the same age range and you wouldn't necessarily go all in on a 22-year-old, whatever. In reality, you don't get to do your shopping at the star grocery store and be like, ooh, a 26-year-old. Ooh, a 25-year-old. I'm the Utah Jazz. I get to pick. And Donovan Mitchell was so good at age 22 that I absolutely think the Jazz made the right call going all in to try to win. I absolutely think they had a shot. Maybe they still do have a shot, but at the very least, last year sure. with what happened to the Warriors, which with what happened to the Lakers, they absolutely had a shot. The fact that they collapsed against the Clippers is bad. It's a black mark. It does not reverse engineer poor management into their decision to go all in on the timeline. Now, we can get in to some management moves that didn't work yeah. out, going all the way back to Exum and Trey Burke to uh, Azubuke instead of Desmond Bain and the draft in 2020 and all that. But I don't think if, – if they fail in these playoffs – and they end up pivoting to a new era of the organization, I don't think it would be fair to look back and say they miscalculated putting a lot of eggs 
in this basket at this time? Because I don't think they did, and I think they very well could have won the championship last year. No, I agree with that. And when you have a chance to win, especially when you're know you a small market franchise, you have to try to seize that opportunity. And look, you can talk about, oh, Donovan Mitchell's timeline. The, the idea that Donovan Mitchell is going to spend his entire career in Utah is absolutely ridiculous. And that's let's just be straight up. That's one of the things that's staring them in the face this summer. That's also one of the things that has been looming over this franchise all season long. So, you know, you, they had a chance to win. They 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 pounced on that opportunity. Uh, doesn't look like it's going to work out, but hey, they had some really good teams. And, you know, I, I think the question, you know, obviously they're going to try to win the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. If this plays out the way we think it plays out, it's just how drastic are the changes uh, this summer? You know, how much does Donovan Mitchell's desires factor into those changes? Um, And, you know, and if I'll just be real blunt, if Donovan Mitchell asks out, do they shift into a, 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 you know, do they blow this thing up and hit reset? That's what's looking at them this summer if, if this thing plays out the way we think it is. Well, if you look at the, the, the roadmap of the NBA, there's a lot of teams that hit that reset button in the last couple of years, like pounding the reset button. Take the cartridge out, blow on it, try to reset <laughs> yeah. again. Some of those teams, Oklahoma City at some point is going to get players. Yeah. Okay, they have to try to start winning. By the way, Oklahoma City, the owners of a uh, Jazz, I believe, 2024 protected pick. Orlando, at some point, is going to, I guess, win more games. Like, Jonathan Isaac exists somewhere and will play eventually. Well, as long as they Um, keep playing Admiral Schofield in the fourth quarter, I don't think it's going to be this year. (laughs) (laughs) Detroit, Cade Cunningham's legit. Yeah. That team is going to make noise next year. I don't know how much noise, but they're not going to be this bad next year. They're going to be a, a, a real opponent next year. Houston is sneaky interesting. Like, there'll be a window yeah. for some team. Like, Portland, we'll see what happens with Dame and stuff. There will be a window in the next two years for some team we don't expect to go to the bottom and find the bottom kind of emptied out and be like, oh, yeah. look at us. We're here at the bottom. Yay. Um, <laughs> now, look, uh, going backwards, it is interesting to go backwards, though. The Jazz, one way to look at life in Utah in the last five or six years, the Jazz traded six first-round picks plus Crowder plus Grayson Allen combined for Ricky Rubio, George Hill, Trey Burke, and Mike Conley. Like, the search for a point guard cost them a lot. Now, you could say it's really five first-round picks because they traded two for one to move up to get Trey Burke. Fine, let's say five first. That's a lot. It was a lot of searching. Trey Burke, when it's it was pro- Dennis Lindsay's first draft, and he loved Giannis, but he just he didn't have the medicals. He just wasn't confident enough to try to convince the Miller uh, family, the ownership group at the time. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, they traded 14 and 21 uh, to move up to eight or nine, rather, to get Trey Burke. Giannis was 15, mm-hmm. uh, as, as you know. But look, Mike Conley... Hasn't been lights out this year. Still shooting it really well. It's coming on lately. Like Mike Conley's had a little bit of revival lately. Made an all-star team for them. Mm-hmm. Like he's been outstanding. It's it's hard to argue with the end result. The chase along the way cost them a lot trying to fill that trying to fill that void. But Mike Conley made an all-star team. Period. And like again, they had a shot last year. 
the 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 uh, Udoka Azubuki pick, I'll just never. I just didn't get it. Nobody got it then. I don't get it. And uh, Desmond Main is giving every other team in the league nightmares watching him play. But boy, if Utah has Desmond Main, that would look a lot better. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, there there are. I would say overall that front office has done a great job taking a rebuilding project and building into a quasi contender. That's, that's my point. But boy, that's it's, my it's point. The, the finishing touches are really tough and, and, and they've had some misses for sure. But you don't, it's, it's, it's the same thing that, that irked me a little bit about the criticism of the Bulls front office, which is I think largely fair. You don't just get to like Jimmy Butler at 30 is not just like one line item in the ledger. That counts as like seven <laughs> yeah. good de- good decisions in one. Gobert at 27 is the same sure. thing. And Mitchell and for, at and 13. You know, the Grizzlies did draft Desmond Bain. They not only drafted him, but like Utah did with both Mitchell and Gobert, they traded they traded up to get him. Uh, and look what that's done for the Grizzlies. I'm, a huge reason the Grizzlies are 19-2 and two without John Moran is because Desmond Bain not just is a 3-D guy, but he has developed – Big time as a you know as a creator, so give the, give the now, Grizzlies a ton of credit there. Absolutely, and they got that pick, of course, in a trade with the Celtics. Sorry, Celtics fans. Um, look again, there's a universe where Utah gets it together, has favorable matchups, and makes a run. It's just it's just a universe that shrinks by the day. But Conley is playing better. Bogdanovich is back. They've been really bad in crunch time. Like their crunch time record is is not is not good. And if you look at the numbers, it's because of their defense. Maybe that corrects itself. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But let's just just for for our version of fun, not Jazz version of fun. The 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 interesting question to me, and and you hit on it, is if if they fail, mm-hmm. and there's a, a a major organizational pivot, that's one of the biggest mysteries of the offseason to me. Because I don't know what that organizational pivot is, partly because your overarching philosophy is going to be whatever it takes to keep Donovan, that's what we're doing. I think that's a bad philosophy. I think that's a bad philosophy. I'm just going to say that right now. Listen, Donovan Mitchell's not staying in Salt Lake City long term. And he sure as hell ain't staying in Salt Lake City long term if there's you know, just trying to sneak into the playoffs. Let's just be realistic okay. about this. And okay. and so what you're going to say is, hey, Donovan and Rudy, you know, what if Donovan says trade Rudy? And I'm going to tell you this. You trade one, you might as well trade both, okay? Because it's time to hit reset at that point. You're not going to get immediately better or even stay the same. If you trade either one, both of those are going to need to be future-motivated uh, type of deals. And the other thing, Ryan Smith, whether he's wearing his hat backwards or forwards, ain't trying to pay luxury tax for a team that's maybe going to be in a play-in, okay? And I think we've got some evidence of that. What'd they do before the trade deadline? They saved money. That's what they did. That was, they saved, a, I think- Well, was, they, needed to, they needed to get the media fine, you know, war chest ready for <laughs> no one's allowed to talk to them, no one's allowed to talk to the media. So again, um, whether it's Donovan asking out, and, and we're all, this is all- foreshadowing based on things that we've heard all season long. Let's just be honest there. And yes, some of those things you're hearing are from other teams, but a hundred percent other teams have been planning to make a run at Donovan Mitchell all season long. 100%. uh, There are other teams that are saying, Hmm, 
hey, if that thing blows up, boy, we'd love to have Rudy Gobert. There's no question about that. So I, I, I think that both of those scenarios are distinct possibilities this summer. I get what you're saying that placate Donovan at all costs should not be the governing philosophy. If I'm the Jazz, it just feels so early to have that kind of come to Jesus moment unless it's absolutely forced upon me. So so that's but that's what's here's here's the thing though. When the Rockets traded Chris Paul, who was the best co-star James Harden has ever had, they did so in large part because Harden said I don't want to play with him anymore. Go get Russ. They they did that in large part. I'm not putting it all on Harden because Tillman Fertitta was right on board with this well. But they did that in large part to keep James Harden happy. It kept him happy for about, what, three weeks, four weeks? And he still forced his way out the next year. My point is this. If you trade Rudy Gobert, you're not getting back. If you trade Rudy Gobert, your time as a, whatever you want to call it, quasi-contender is at least temporarily over. And... I just I don't think Donovan Mitchell's long for Utah in that situation. I I would be absolutely shocked if he was in Utah as as soon as you know the next year. I think he's forcing his way out, and and again he it might come as soon as the summer. Now he's got three years left on his contract plus the player option. How much control would he have over his destination with three years? That's you know I don't know. And does Rudy Gobert, if he if he is on the block, does he have any influence with with uh, his contract? I you know I don't know about that. I do know some situations where uh, my understanding is I, teams are interested, and I think one in particular, Rudy Gobert, if if he's leaving Utah, which he would prefer to stay in Utah, just for the record. But if Rudy's leaving Utah, I know one situation where he thinks. Well, don't 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 spoil it for me because I'm going to go through my fake Rudy Gobert trades real quick right now. So that's, but that's the mystery, right? Is if I'm trying to keep Donovan Mitchell at all costs, how, what is the Gobert trade that reorients my team around him and keeps us really good now with the path to being really good, good, good in the future? That's hard to see given that Gobert on the mammoth contract he's on through 2026 Mm -hmm. is, is a, let's say, polarizing trade piece. Yeah. So here here are my teams. I'm inter- just tell me if the team is on the list when I get through. Because you see a lot of teams, man, there ain't a lot of teams that really are going to break the bank right. to get you a center. This is based purely on speculation, purely on me playing trade machine games. Okay. Um Charlotte is the most obvious and you could throw, you know, Washington Book night, future picks, salary filler. I think they'd be hesitant to do Bridges because Bridges and Ball have something special mm-hmm. going on there. Bill Simmons threw out Atlanta the last time he was on my podcast, and that makes some intuitive sense. They've got a lot of support pieces. They need a defensive anchor. Washington, but they just got Porzingis, so I don't know how much they view that as a long-term you know, answer. Portland has so many balls in the air, including the possibility of just re-signing Yusuf Nurkic, that I, that one feels dicey to me, but it's possible given that they're kind of piling up assets and flexibility. The Toronto, That's in one. theory, one I've heard. Has, got, has got a lot of pieces, and it, it would be very easy for people to say, well, Rudy doesn't fit the sort of frenetic switching help and recover, fly around, box in one, triangle in two, trapezoid in seven, defense that Nick Nurse likes to play. 
I think that undersells the adaptability of Nick Nurse and the dominance in the paint of Rudy Gobert. Like if you gave Nick Nurse Rudy Gobert and subtracted piece X and Y off his current team and we're like, build a defense, Nick Nurse would be like, all right, let's get to the lab and do it. Also, Rudy have, is a lot better switch defender than people give him credit for. The reason the Jazz don't switch is because the other guys can't. Fair enough. So those that, and that and that's it. And I don't oh, really know the missing, interest you're, level. You're missing. Um, you're, you're missing one. You're, give it to me. You're missing one. Right here in my home turf. Still the mighty Mavericks. Wow. Luke, who look who look really really good right now. By listen, the way. Rudy's love language is awards and lobs. Lobs, lobs, lobs. Charlotte, Lamelo, that would be a hell of a fit. Atlanta, Trey Young. Uh, although Nick, you run neither. into the timetable thing with Charlotte, though. You run yes. into are we putting too many eggs in the Lamelo's twenty-one basket? I'm just talking about in terms of pick and roll lob threat. Uh, Trey Young and Rudy, that, that'd be interesting. Two guys who always get along well with teammates. <laughs> but it would be a basketball fit. Dallas with Luca? Are you kidding me? The the Go Bear Luca pick and roll plug Go Bear into what the Mavericks have been able to put together. Uh, defensively this year. Listen, Luca pick and roll with Dwight Powell is awfully effective. I like Dwight Powell. Super, super effective. Dwight Powell is a better passer than Rudy Gobert. Dwight Powell's passing this season and in particular the last two months out of that short roll has been dynamite. I'm pretty sure Rudy would uh, be an upgrade as far as a, a pick and roll finisher. Um, and, and listen, I'm just going to tell you, I know I've heard from externally, and internally, that the Mavericks would have significant interest. And I know Rudy well enough to know that he would love to play with Luca. You know, he's he was, I mean, I remember when Luca was drafted, Rudy tweeted then, this guy's going to be phenomenal. Um, also, you know, there's little things like Rudy's agent, Boone Njai, lives in suburban Dallas. Actually, Boone wanted Rudy with the Mavericks going into the draft. And Rudy's first draft workout was in Dallas, and it was against Stephen Adams. And remember, this was Rudy, <laughs> you know, uh, raw coming out of. Yeah, of, I'm, of I'm guessing this was. Un, I'm guessing this was unpleasant for. <laughs> it, it was not a. It was. Uh, it was not a workout that made the Mavericks interest in drafted Rudy Gobert. <laughs> now, different deal, uh, but no. It, I, I think the Mavericks would be as aggressive as any team to go get. Now, the question is, what kind of deal could they put together? You know, how many picks are they willing to put in there? Uh, you know, I can get I can get you some expiring in that deal. What's the rest of the thing look like? Can you take Bertans as the salary to make it to, to fill it in? Hardaway, I don't want to give up Bullock. I don't want to give up Ben Whitty. I don't know. But I, I do know that uh, the Mavericks would be very aggressive if Gobert's on the market this summer. Very interesting stuff. Let's leave it there and let the playoffs play out. Because the Jazz, look, we the shovels are out. The hole is dug, you know, but they're not dead yet. Yeah. They got a lot of pride. They have a legit postseason super-duper star in Donovan Mitchell. But uh, So let's table it for now and see how they do. And Tim McMahon, you will be there. Uh, for every step of it, thank you for your time. You're on the Hoop Collective. You're on the Woj Pod this week. You're everywhere, Tim McMahon. Thank Man. you for making a little time for us. Listen, anytime I can jump on the low post, I am happy to do it. I appreciate you having me.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.